You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. You don't need to be a bioengineer to help change the shape of humanity. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Valchunas. Eric, every once in a while, we come across a thing that feels like a big deal, maybe a good thing, really good thing for investors. And this one really piqued my interest. Yeah, there's a new category that's getting big quickly, and it's really, we call them the buffer ETFs. Target, out, target outcome is another name for them. And there's been, there's dozens of them. But there was a story written by Bloomberg News that had a headline that really just caught people's attention. This story got a lot of reads. And it was basically along the lines of, hey, here's a new fund that offers 100% downside protection. Downside protection. That's and, what I'm, I like. Yeah, everybody does. I think there's also a too-good-to-be-true element mm. to it as well. And so clearly, you're going to click on that and say, what's going on here? And I think it's just a good excuse to get into the buffer funds and what they do and wh- and the audience they serve. Um, I just looked recently. They've taken in over $5 billion this year. That's a 23% organic growth rate. That's about triple the ETF industry as a whole. They're now up to about $30 billion. And this search I did isn't even catching them all. It's only the ones with buffer in the name. But anyway, it's a whole big category. BlackRock's jumped in. And so I think it's a good time to revisit this, in particular, this one that has the 100% downside protection. Joining us on this episode, we're going to have Bruce Bond, the CEO and founder of Innovator Capital Management, as well as Graham Day, the chief investment officer. And we're going to talk about the Innovator Equity Defined Protection ETF with the ticker T-Jewel. This time on Trillions, no downside. Bruce, Graham, welcome to Trillions. Great to be here, guys. Really happy to be here. Thanks for having us, guys. Okay, Bruce, I'm going to start with you. Uh, do you prefer the term buffer ETF or defined outcome? We prefer the term defined outcome to cover the whole category of these defined outcome type ETFs, which includes buffers, accelerated, uh, income based, and now, uh, you know, the defined protection ETFs as well. So, we look at defined outcome kind of as an umbrella and buffers as a category within that. Okay. So is this too good to be true? I mean, I put money in and then a little bit later, like chaos unfolds. There's no downside. I only get upside. That seems like there's a catch. Yeah. Well, there really is no catch. Uh, It is a great product. It took us a while to get it out. And I think to be able to tell people that you can now participate in the equity markets with no downside risk and with upside. Now, you are giving a couple things up. One of the things- Oh, there's the catch. Up, okay, yeah, what do I give up? Yeah, so, so, I, so I guess, yeah, I mean, catch, you're giving up the dividend. So you don't receive the dividend. And you're also giving up the upside over two years above 16.6%, you know, so, any performance over 16.5%, let's say, you're giving that up. So you're giving up the dividend and that. And so those are the gives up. So there's nothing free within the investing world, as we all know. But to be able to understand 
you don't have downside, but you get that amount of upside is a huge benefit to many, many people in the investing world. Do you keep whatever is above 16%? No, we don't keep it. What happens is we take the dividend and we buy part of the options with the dividend, but then we don't quite have enough money just using the dividend to buy the options. And so we have to sell a call and we determine where the cap is by how much money we have to raise in order to finance this package. We want the options package to be a zero cost package for investors. And so we set the cap there. So we're really, we're selling off the upside to get a little more money to finance the package. And that's really what happens in the way we're able to give you the downside protection and give you a certain amount of the upside. Graham, uh, let's come in here. That was the deep end of the swimming pool. Can you break that down a little bit for me? Guys, it's, it's really simple. All we're doing is, as Bruce was saying, in, in, in giving up unlimited upside potential, you're exchanging that for the certainty of having a 100% buffer. And if you think about long-term, uh, the, the ability to get some equity upside in today's market where it's at all-time highs, where people are really scared of what do I do? Do I just keep giving my money to the banks and letting them sit in the deposits? Or do I invest in the markets, but also have that 100% protection? And so to have a 16% upside over two years, history suggests that's a better spot to be than if you were just sitting on the sidelines in cash. Okay. There's a lot of questions on where this fits in the portfolio, who it's for. But before we get there, just while we're on the product itself, just explain as best you can what you're doing in the portfolio. You talked about um, selling the upside. What kind of options are you using? How often are you changing the options? What kind of options are they? It's really simple. At the end of the day, these are three options positions that we're holding. And the beauty of the defined outcome ETFs is that once that basket of options is set, it is fixed for the entirety of the outcome period. There's no active management. There's no one pulling levers behind the curtain that's what gives all investors a defined outcome. And so we start with a deep in the money call on the S&P 500 ETF. That gives you the long exposure uh, to the S&P 500. And then as Bruce mentioned, we use the implied dividend inside that deep in the money call to help fund the at the money put. So an at the money put is what gives you that 100% downside protection. Now the dividend is not enough to cover that cost of that protection. And so that's where we go out and we put the market makers on the option side into competition and tell them, look, we need to finance this downside protection. At what level can we sell a call, the highest level possible to finance the remainder of the cost of the protection? In this case, it was 16.6%. We sell that call. That's what gives the cap to investors, but it's also what helps finance that at the money put. When these products come out, they, they sometimes have dates around them. Is this is this one T-Jewel, which by the way, sounds like a like a rapper. It's a cool name. Yeah. It's like a, yeah. it just kind of rolls off the tongue. Whoever picked, got that ticker, yeah. good job. Um, do you, these are designed to start on the day that they come out kind of, right? It's not, a lot of other ETFs, including leveraged, the leverage resets every day. This is a little different. Can you just explain how the timing works? Yeah, and, and Eric, maybe even before we do that, we didn't really talk about, okay, what, what is this product and how does it work a little bit? You know, just kind of the overview for everyone. Yeah. 
basically T Jewel, it was listed on the 1st of July. And you have to hold this product for two years in order to get the 16.6%. So you buy that, and then over a two-year period, if the market is up 20%, you get 16.6. If the market is up 10%, you just get 10%. So you get all the way up to 16.6%. Now, the beauty of this product is that you can't lose money on the downside if you buy day one. So if the market's down 5%, you don't lose. If it's down 10%, you don't lose. If it's down 20% from July 1st, you don't lose any money. And I think that's what people are so excited about. So I just want to make sure everybody understands this. Although what Graham's talking about with the call bonds and I mean with the calls and the options and all this stuff, it's not kind of confusing for some people. What they really need to do is look at this at face value. You buy it on the first of July, or you can really buy it anytime if you look at the website. You get the upside of the market up to sixteen and a half percent and you have no risk on the downside. But you have to stay in it for two years in order to receive that. And that's really what people are so excited about. So Sorry to interrupt. I just want to make sure everybody yeah. understood where we were. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Do people religiously buy on the first day and then nobody buys it? Or do you find people come into these products after a couple months or a year? Is there a benefit to buying it a year in? Let's say the market is down or up. Like, Is there a trading crowd that gets into this, even if they're not sort of maybe the older investor looking to uh, protect their wealth and they go in day one? Is there anything you can do with this after day one? Eric, Yes. Uh, for the most part, though, we do find advisors like to buy at the very beginning of the outcome period. They like to understand that they have the full downside buffer, they have the full upside cap. And I think one of the things that we realized early on when we brought these products back in 2018 was that uh, what I alluded to before, when you look at the defined outcome, that package of options is fixed for the entirety of the outcome period. That means that someone who buys, say, six months into an outcome period, they can still achieve a defined outcome. Now, their outcome may look a little different 
the price of the underlying and the options have moved. So the price of the ETF has moved. But now if they had a one year out from period to start and they're six months in, now they have a unique six month defined outcome that they can achieve. And so we've seen a growing number of advisors who have grown comfortable with using these ETFs. Maybe they started buying at the very beginning of the outcome period, but now they look and realize, well, this payoff is really intriguing to me and my clients for this next six months. In terms of the trading community, I think there's definitely some, and we've uh, been talking with some institutions that have used options in sophisticated ways, but the ability to access a package of options via a single ETF is far more efficient for them than it is to recreate the options package, trade those individual option legs. It's a taxable event every single time you're managing this portfolio of options. And so we're seeing the application of these ETFs extending from simply using day one to people using throughout the outcome period to now getting some of these institutions involved as well. One other thing I would add to you guys too, just to think about. So let's say you bought in day one and then uh, at a, at the year point, let's say the market's up 10 or 15% and the ETF's up 8%. You know, it's not going to be up as much as the ETF. It, listeners need to understand that because it's going to trail a little because there's a lot of time value in there. Only at the very end of the outcome period, you're going to get one-to-one on the upside with the S&P. And, but just think about any time you could use this. If the market's up and if the ETF is up, you can roll it into a new one at the reset time and you lock in whatever that gain is. You can't lose it after that. You know, so you just step up, you continue to lock your gains in. I can see a lot of people using it like that into the future if the market's up. And so this to me, especially after last year, because sometimes I see a product like like this and I'm like, why not just like diversify old school, have some treasuries, have some stocks. But after last year, treasuries and stocks both went down a lot. And so how big of an opening did that create? Because I get the appeal here, right? You've got older investors, especially, who have a lot of gains. I was going to say, like, a, a retiree, this just seems like... Yeah, what, I, I, is the average age in these funds got to be, like, 70? I mean, I can't... I mean, you wouldn't use this if you're 30 years old, right? Yeah. It's hard to track, but you know, one other thing, you know, because they're ETFs, we don't know everybody that owns them, but... The thing to remember is that like 75% of investable assets are in pre-retirement and retirement accounts. That's where most of the money is located. And so those people that are getting ready or looking at retirement or almost in retirement are saying, I don't want to put my money at risk. And Eric, you're right. Typically you would say, you know, let, let's say you get a windfall, you get a million bucks and you're like, okay, well, I need to buy a little bonds. I got to buy a little. You don't have to think about that anymore. If you don't want to, you can just buy this and say, okay, I, I get all the upside uh, up to 16% over the next couple of years. I got no risk on the downside while I think about what I want to do. And I think those are the, the you know options that this gives people that they didn't have access to before. One other thing, Eric, you can appreciate this. The SEC has never approved the name protection in the name of any other ETF until now. It's called Defined Protection ETFs that innovators bringing. That's a big deal. It tells you a lot about how the SEC has seen them as well. How were those conversations? Did it take a lot to convince them? Because they are pretty conservative when it comes to putting certain words in the name. 
Yeah, Eric, you know, really, no. Um, in fact, what you'll find when you bring a lot of products to market is that the SEC has a significant amount of input when it comes to the final name. And so you are, uh, it's almost a collaboration with them. And so we were actually very surprised that this was one of the iterations that they had come back to us with. And so I think to Bruce's point, that kind of reaffirms that they understand the value add proposition of this ETF and it being the first ETF that uh, for this outcome period is going to provide investors with a 100% buffer on the downside. Okay, so here's the question that I really want to know. What took so long? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, good things take time, Joel. You know that. So it, uh, yeah, it took a while. And, um, you know, I think um, in our approach to the business, what we do is we look at the market and we say, what do people need? What do they really want? And what are they using today that we might be able to do better? And so if you look at the annuity business, this is why do people buy annuities for the insurance? They want to know they're not going to lose that money, right? And so this provides that to them or even market link CDs that banks issue. Why, why do people buy those? Because they want to know they can't lose money. Well, guess what? It's insurance companies. I mean, heaven forbid we have a huge uh, environmental calamity in these insurance companies. Some of them go down or something. I mean, it's a real concern on people's minds these days. These do not have credit risk. You don't have to wonder what they're invested in. You can see what's in there. And it's not taxable when it resets. And so you don't have the credit risk. You don't have the tax risk. You just let it go into the future. And, you know, when you sell it, you have to pay the tax that's there. But you don't have to pay the tax until you sell it. Um, I remember looking through some teachers' retirement plans with some of variable annuities. And the fees were ridiculous. I mean, the, these teachers were getting gouged, in my opinion. Can you talk a little bit about that industry versus the fees on this and what the savings is like? Yeah, Eric, I, I think that's you kind of hit the nail on the head. When you look at the way the ETF industry has evolved, it's been taking these exposures that have been less liquid, more expensive, less tax efficient, and making them accessible to all investors at the same price. And that price is often significantly lower than what you see in the insurance market. And so that's really no different of what we've done here with T-Jewel. We've taken a look at an area of the market where uh, we were looking at the numbers, 2022, $80 billion of fixed indexed annuity sales. So that's products in the insurance market that give you some of the equity upside but give you that principal protection on the downside. The problem is the fees are high. They tend to be five, six years in duration. Your money's locked up. You want to get out after a year, you're going to have a hefty surrender charge. And that, that doesn't even take in consideration the tax implications of those structures. And again, the ETF has shown the power of deferring taxes and what that can do for the end investor. You add that, uh, you know, you add that dynamic to this ETF, the TJUL, there's a massive value add potential that investors can unlock. Because when you look at market link CDs, when you look at insurance products, uh, market link CDs have what's called phantom income. Now, that's a, a, a fancy term for you essentially are going to be paying taxes along the way on gains that you have not yet received at an ordinary income rate. You look at 
fixed index annuities, once those uh, policies come due in five or six years, you're going to be paying ordinary income taxes on gains. The ETF, you defer those gains. You choose if you want to sell after a year and a day, it's going to be long term cap gains. And so you think about the, the tax alpha potential that the ETF wrapper delivers on top of the liquidity, on top of the fact that there's no credit risk, on top of the fact that there's no surrender charges. There's a huge benefit that we think we are giving to the end investor. And there's a huge market for this type of participation in the market, but having that known 100% buffer in place. Okay. Strong pitch. I think I understand the product a little bit better now. What could go wrong? What could make me not get the protection? Yeah, like Like, a March 2020 or like a black swan event or I I don't know. Yeah, um, what what would make me... There's there's none of... Yeah, there's... Yeah, Joel, it's a, I mean, it's a great question. And again, a lot of people will say, well, this just sounds too good to be true. The, the ETF owns options. Those options are exchange-traded options. They are guaranteed for settlement by the OCC. The OCC has been identified by the U.S. government as a too important to fail institution. And so that's your counterparty when it comes to the underlying options. The OCC has been around since the 70s. They have never defaulted on any of their obligations. So that's your counterpart. Now, obviously, contrast that to a bank or insurance company. We have found investors saying we would much rather prefer having our counterparty be the OCC as opposed to an insurance company or a bank. So what can go wrong? Let me let me run at that real quick, guys. Uh, I don't mean to jump in, but... Um, so really on the downside, you own a put, 100% put at the money. Can't lose money if the market goes down. Remember, you these are spy options, most liquid options in the world, right? So unbelievably depth, a uh, deep pool of options. So you really have no risk there. So the only risk someone really has is if the market goes up significantly above the cap. That That's it. That's your risk. And we find most people that are saying, okay, I'm gonna get 100% downside protection. I, I'm good with 16, I, I can live with that. I'm happy with that. And and I don't need more than that. And I'm willing to give up what is above that to know I can't lose going down. That's yeah. that's really your risk. And that's 16% over two years. 16 so, over two years. What's interesting is the S&P annually, I think going back 50, 100 years, returns about 8.59%. So it's almost the average return of the S&P. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I get it. I mean, it's... Actually, th- to that end, you guys must have done a lot of back testing on this. Like, how, what, what did you learn from that process? Yeah, I, I think, you know, what we found is, and you look at today's market, and you've got JP Morgan in their second half outlook, they said that 25 to 30% of their clients' investable assets is in cash. And I think that people have had this idea of, gosh, yeah. Cash is paying me 4% now. What a great place to be. But history shows that you do not want to overweight cash in your portfolio. Look what happened in 2023. People experience all that downside. They move to cash. Markets have shot up 19%. (laughs) It's on a tear. And even you you look at bonds, people were talking about bonds, generational opportunities. Core bonds are up 2%, 2 2.5%. That doesn't sound like a generational opportunity to me. 
And so that's that's the the beauty of these products is equity exposure is where where the where it happens in terms of the portfolio. That's where you get the bulk of your returns, especially now that interest rates have normalized. Well, that was what uh, I was going to say. When, when I asked that question of like what took so long, it, it really was interest rates, right? We needed the interest is, rates a- to go absolutely. up for All you to right. yeah, be allowed the strategy, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You know, and, and Joel, that's a, that's a fair point. And one of the reasons why it, it took a while, and again, you look at the insurance market, the reason why they brought partially protected products is because it was too expensive to bring products that had 100% downside protection. That was a function of interest rates. And so as interest rates have risen, that has really led to this new proliferation of insurance products that give you equity upside with the full downside protection. And now we can offer that in the ETF wrapper. But in terms of back testing and looking, we have seen that this type of strategy significantly outperforms cash, which you would expect. Uh, again, people think, well, gosh, I'm guaranteed to get 4% of my money market fund. Why would I give that up for potentially getting 16.6% over two years? And that's the hurdle that people can't get over, but that's why that these strategies actually do better than if you're just sitting in cash. And you guys, Eric, you pointed out 8% a year, 8, 9% a year over 50 years, that's the average annual return. If you look over two year timeframes, the S&P is positive 90% of those times. And the average return in positive markets is 32% over two years. So the math and the probability history tells you that this is a better spot to be in than simply sitting in bonds or on the side sidelines in cash. And I might add, the money market funds at 4%. I'm not getting paid that at my JP Morgan Chase account. And that's where a lot of people have moved to They've moved from these regional banks. They've moved, they put their money in these big banks that are flush with cash that are still paying 10, 20 basis points on deposits. And so again, this is a tool to get that money off the sidelines and into the market. Now remember that's pre-tax. I mean, I got to remind people that all the time. They try to compare this to that. You know, I mean, if you did an after-tax comparison, uh, like buying a one-year two-year T-bill, you need really about 11% after, you know, pre-tax. So after tax, you hit about 8% where we're saying we're going to be. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
All right, let's talk a little bit about the size of this market because you guys were first. I got to give you credit. I remember seeing these roll out and go, I, these are just probably too complex for advisors. I was wrong. I'm not wrong much. And I yeah, rarely I know, admit it when I, I am. I was I wrong know. on this. This was um, this category is ballooning. Then you had a bunch of copycats come after you. First Trust. Yep. Now BlackRock. Yep. Now, you yep. know, BlackRock, First Trust is really good at selling ETFs. BlackRock is BlackRock. What if this category goes to $100 billion, $200 billion? Does that change the expensiveness of buying that insurance? and Or could the trade get too crowded? Or is there any risk to the size of this? I think one of the things we've done is we've tried to stay in, or we are in, and I think most of the others as well are in the most liquid pools. You know, we're really not looking to go into thinly traded areas. Like I said, you know, the SPY options, the SPX options, that pool is the most liquid pool in the world. You know, we're talking in the multiples of billions of dollars daily. So I don't think uh, really, uh, we also have something, you know, in the queues and and, uh, the small cap and EFA and emerging markets, you know, for the buffers. So we don't think so. We, you know, these options, they trade an enormous size. So we don't think it's going to be uh, an issue. And I think we have the flexibility to adjust, you know, where the trades occur. So we think we'll be fine for quite a while. Eric, what I would say too, is you look at how much is traded in SPY and SPX options. You're talking about there's seven, eight, nine trillion dollars of open interest there's almost $800, $900 billion traded every single day in these options. And so, again, to Bruce's point, we're bringing these exposures on the most liquid markets. Now, the beauty of what we've done, too, is we've diversified that liquidity across all of our series of products. We're not rolling all the options at, at one time. That's We have monthly series with buffers of 9 15 30%. Now we have buffer here of 100% on, on T-Jewel, but we're not rolling all these at the same time. And that spreads out the liquidity risk. Now we will say, uh, you know, we heard through the grapevine, there was a, a, there's a large mutual fund uh, that's uh, issued by JP Morgan. It's, it's, a, it's a great fund. They were rolling $20 billion of S&P options every single quarter. And we noted that they closed that fund to new investors and opened up, similar to what Innovator's done, a few other series. And I think that was to diversify you know, some liquidity, if you want to call it risk, or that they saw that their caps that they were getting were maybe lower because the amount of size and risk that they were putting on the market at, at one time. But that was at $20 billion. We have almost 100 defined outcome ETFs. And so... That gives us a huge opportunity to continue to scale the business. I think our largest ETF is just knocking on the door of a billion dollars. So we feel like we have a long ways to go. And just getting back to BlackRock, I know they came out. Um, theirs are a little cheaper than the rest of the group. They're BlackRock. Do they worry you at all? What did you think when you saw that filing? I don't think we were surprised. Um, you know, we, we knew that they were very interested in the space. We are really pleased to see them talking about um, talking a lot like how we talk about investors and how much risk investors should be willing to take or want to take in the markets. And so really, it, it's a real credibility booster for us for you know the largest asset manager in the world to come in and say, you know what, this makes a lot of sense for investors. And uh, we think they will continue to do this. Um, but as you said, JP Morgan, 
uh, and the like, you know, have all come into the space saying, yeah, uh, Allianz, you know, to do products along these lines because they really see the value. All right. Last question. Graham, what is your favorite ETF ticker other than any of your own? <laughs> oh, that's a that's a good one. Um, oh I my can't, goodness! I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. Bruce, you're next, but we'll we'll let Graham kind of be quiet here for a second while he racks his brain. <laughs> well, I'm a big tech investor, uh, so uh, you know I'm way overweighted into tech, and so probably something along the lines of ARKK. I'll take ARK yeah. from Bruce. I think that's an yeah, out of the box. One. I wasn't expecting yeah. it. Graham, would you come up with? Yeah, you know what, guys? I, I would probably have to say cows. Uh, the, the, the fun from Pacer. Uh, How know, does I that go down with Moo? Head to head, cows versus Moo. <laughs> cows, Moo, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Moo is an all-time favorite. Cows, cows is good. Is that's good. the first time someone yeah. picked cows, yeah, but yeah, that is a good one. All right, Graham, Bruce, thanks so much for joining us on Trillions. Thanks for having us, guys. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you'd like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Valchunas. This episode of Trillions was produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Bye. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash FutureInvestor slash radio.